So let's be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. Hey everybody, welcome to Outpost of Heaven, the podcast. I am Andrew, as always, with my beautiful co-host, lover. Okay, that's weird. Mother of my children and <laughs> I'm, wife. I'm Emily, guys. Hi. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. I'm blushing. And um, yeah, it's October. It is October. Well, not when we are recording this, but when we are releasing this. Well, it is almost October, actually, as we are recording this, because it's almost midnight. Hour. <laughs> <laughs> Why do so we do this to <gasps> it's funny because we uh have a bunch of episodes recorded already with guests mm-hmm. but like but if we release them all back to back to back to back then they will all be gone <laughs> <laughs> that is a great statement honey. right so we're trying to disperse yeah. them evenly and have us alone in between yeah basically how we we split it up yeah. is it's like not all guests and it's not all just us we try and spread it out welcome Uh, to behind the scenes of the podcast yes (laughs) so it is late my eyes are heavy but Mm -hmm. we're happy to be here here for it and today we're going to talk a little bit about hurricanes yep because what would 2020 be without crazy hurricane messes Mm -hmm. yeah so i don't know it wouldn't be 2020 i don't know if you're not from the gulf coast you probably don't know this but uh, every year before the uh, before the hurricane season, they release 26 names for hurricanes, right? Do they have them all picked out? Mm-hmm. And so they, oh. they, they have it all picked out based off of the... like. So there's a, a name for each letter of the alphabet. Mm-hmm. And so it goes up all the way through 26. Right. Uh, this is one of the few years where they go through all of the names and then they just... St- they don't just start over. They start over and then they just give them the names from the... They name them the letters of the Greek alphabet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I remember recently there was a beta. Mm-hmm. Has there been... Have there been any more after that? Uh, I don't know, actually. Not not any big ones. Okay. I think there have been some more small ones, but I don't know. Uh, but we've had a ton of them. This has been one of those years that we had to start over and use the, the Greek alphabet. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't been paying attention... Um, because there's a fire going on in your neighborhood or because there are riots or because there's a pandemic or whatever other thing is occupying your time, we've had a lot of hurricanes. And so within like two, within like a month of each other, we had two big hurricanes Mm -hmm. smack Western Louisiana and then one hit, uh, Alabama, or Alabama, Mississippi, Florida area. And we, we got a lot of the rain as well, but we didn't really get we were fine. Super luckily. bad affected. We're yeah, very we, blessed to be we're, a little we're, up north. Yeah, we're in the eastern part of Louisiana, and mm-hmm. so we kind of just skirted right between the two storms. So we were lucky. Yeah, but, but there were a lot of people who were not so lucky. Yeah, and we, I, actually, um, I want to know a little bit more about Andrew's experience, and I'm sure our listeners do too, because what what experience? I'm about to get there. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> That is the snarkiest she has ever been with me. Okay, it's late. Okay, I just want to sleep. <laughs> okay, 
So <laughs> Andrew had the opportunity to go and do some hurricane hurricane cleanup. Hurricane cleanup. Can you say that five times fast? Hurricane cleanup. Hurricane cleanup. Hurricane cleanup. Hurricane cleanup. Hurricane cleanup. Hurricane cleanup. Okay. Well, I think that was six times, but that's fine. And I can't say that. So <laughs> hurricane cleanup um, for Hurricane Sally and Hurricane Laura. And I've never done that before, but Andrew grew up doing that because he's from the South. And so I just want to know a little bit more about your experiences with how you spent your past weekends. Cool. Well, up. well, what do you so, want to know? Well, I want to know first, like, what is the process of volunteering? Okay. So um, Louisiana is a great place for so many reasons. We have a lot of problems, but we also have some great people uh, that when we do have storms, people in Louisiana tend to be very good about mobilizing and just going and helping. Um, and so you saw that with with Hurricane Laura, which hit the western part of Louisiana pretty hard. Um, there were so that was Leesville. Right? That was Leesville was the area that we were oh. that we were in. So it was like Lake Charles, kind of just straight north of Lake Charles, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and you saw that, especially in Lake Charles, there were all kinds of people there helping. And by that, I mean there were organized groups like the Red Cross or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or um, Helping Hands or the, not Helping Hands, the Samaritans Per... I can't remember what all the names are, but basically it was kind of like big organizations mm-hmm. that mobilized to go and help. But as we were in Lake Charles, which was something really cool, that I saw there were people who just drove into town with their RV, set it up and like set, individuals, individuals, like it just looked like like a, a a family unit, like decided to go to Lake Charles with their brothers and cousins and whatnot, and they set up their RV, set up a bunch of uh, grills, and they just had plate lunches that they were giving out to workers because there were tons of people who had come into work to clean up everything, both paid and volunteers. Um, and or to people who were trying to clean up their homes and they were just giving out plate lunches or or there are people who were like giving out boxes of hygiene stuff Mm -hmm. um or i mean people kind of came to do whatever they could do Mm -hmm. um one cool thing that we see a lot we didn't see that with these storms because of the nature of the storms but you see the cajun navy Uh, which is... uh, Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. So the Cajun Navy is just a a bunch of individuals that every time there's a big storm and a big flood, you get all of these great redneck guys (laughs) that bring over... You probably see them on TV on the news when you... (laughs) Oh, they're so great. (laughs) They're just like these really... Most of them are really simple people that have a boat, that see somebody is in need, and they go out and they help. And Mm -hmm. they are... Awesome. They're not. Yeah. Comp- it's not complicated. They don't worry like who you're voting for or anything like that. They don't want to be uh, paid for their work. They literally just say, "Hey, there's somebody that needs help. I have a boat. They need somebody with a boat. The National Guard can't get to everybody, so I'm going to go and help." And so you get hundreds, not thousands, of these these people who have their own hunting boats or fishing boats, and they bring them out and they. Uh, go and and rescue people from their homes, and so they'll like they'll get in in the boats and go into flooded areas and get people who are stranded in their um, in their homes or on their homes frequently, and then bring them out to safety. So that's the Cajun Navy, and so there are so many different ways and groups that are involved in this. So 
uh, I can talk a little bit about how I got specifically involved. Do you want to do that well, or do something else? Um, I want to know when you are when we're talking about hurricane cleanup. What is it that needs to be cleaned up? Because some of your experiences have been like um, inside people's homes, and some of them mm-hmm. have been yard work. So what? Yeah, talk to us a little bit about what kind of cleanup needs to happen. Uh, so generally, as far as what volunteers are going to be doing, um, there are two types of cleanup that has to happen. And it depends on the type of storm. Uh, so Hurricane Laura and Hurricane Sally were very different types of storms. Uh, so Hurricane Laura ha- was a stronger storm and was moving a lot faster. And so we say moving a lot faster, so there's like the speed of the wind, but then there is the like forward momentum of the storm. And so Hurricane Laura was a much faster storm. Was going like faster, meaning the momentum of the storm. Yeah, so like the eye was moving, not the wind forward. Yeah, I mean it was a stronger storm, and so like it it did have higher winds, but the the it was really different because it was moving so fast. And so by the time it reached Leesville, which where I spent most of my time, uh, it was it was still a Category Two. Um, Usually, when you get that far inland, it's it's died down a lot. Uh, So this, so the two types of a cleanup you usually do are uh, we call it mucking out houses, which me it, that happens when there's a lot of rain and there's flooding and you have to go in and you have to rip out everything that got has, that had water damage. Yeah. And so that's carpet, that's furniture, that's all the clothes people had lying on the ground, that's um, drywall, uh, floorboards. Because it's not like clean rainwater that's flooding no i mean even if it was clean rainwater like you can't have right yeah but you could i mean you could possibly potentially like get all those clothes off the ground and hang them up to dry yeah i mean but it's not always this clean water it's water that's been flowing through the road right and it's water that usually sits there right and so it usually Mm -hmm. sits there for a little bit uh and so even if you clean the clothes um, and you, you still can clean the clothes, I guess, but things like the drywall mm, or the mm-hmm. carpet, like at that, that point, yeah, yeah, or wood flooring or that kind of stuff, you have to get, you have okay. to take it out, uh, especially the, the drywall because it can like bad, like stuff can grow in it and it Ew. can be dangerous and, yeah. uh, and it's awful. That is the worst job in the world. <laughs> I hate mucking out houses and that's what I did most of the time as a kid as I was growing up for hurricane cleanups is you would go in and you'd, um, you'd have to, you'd cut the drywall up to a certain height. And so you find out where, like where the water level was. And then you kind of cut a little bit above that. And so you try and cut as straight as possible so they can come in later with, uh, with drywall and replace the section that you've taken out. Wow. Um, That's intense. I just kind of imagined that they just kind of like gutted everything out of the house. So it was just the walls, of the house. Yeah, I mean, and, and sometimes it is. Like, we've been in some houses, not in, in these storms, but a couple of years ago, we, there was some bad flooding, and the flooding was basically to the roof, uh, roof line. Wow. And so we had to go in and cut basically all of the sheetrock out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of the areas, the I mean, the water would go up above the ceiling and then pull the sheetrock from the ceiling oh down. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and so that's kind of a pain. So there's that. Um, and that is, it's just, it smells bad. It's so hot and muggy and you just get so dirty and it's just kind of like a wet dirty, mm-hmm. uh, but it has to happen and, it, and like insurance and whatnot frequently won't cover that kind of stuff. And 
the cleanup process. And it's, yeah, the, the, yeah. the cleanup process is hard to cover and hard to get people to get out there and do it. And the longer you wait, the worse it is. And so yeah. you really need people to get in and do it as quickly as possible. And once that's done, it's easier to move forward and start repairing okay. because you have to gut everything before you can really start building it back. And so us going in helps the, the homeowners um, you know, save all those expenses because they're going to have to pay for all of these things even mm-hmm. if they have insurance is they're not going to get everything fixed by insurance and so doing that helps them you know, okay. save a lot of money the other thing we do is tree removal um and it's it's really like debris removal i guess because it's not just trees like if there are like uh we went to one place where the a tree knocked over or like fell on a house and like collapsed the garage and so we helped like pull out all the bricks and the the beams from the roof and whatnot and cleared out the garage part that had collapsed. Uh, but a lot of it is cutting up and hauling trees because these these big storms, especially like Laura, when it came through, it just um, it devastated whole areas where there were tons and tons and tons of trees that fell. And so you have to come in uh, with teams with chainsaws and cut up with the tree and and then haul it out to the road. That sounds very taxing. It is. I mean, we do it. You do all day. come home very exhausted. Yeah. It's like a weekend trip, so he doesn't just like go for the day. Like it's usually a weekend thing. Yeah. So you always come back very exhausted. Yep. How have people reacted? Um, have you seen a variety of reactions in people? Yeah. That have. I mean, the people receiving the service. Definitely, and so I, th- I think. Um, it is both disheartening and heartening. Can you say heartening? Sure. Is that a word? I'm going to say heartening. Uh, so there are, um, the best people we, that we helped, um, are the people who are just super, super grateful. Of course. And they ask you, they say thank you over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And frequently we'll have like grown men cry as we're helping them because they're just like, I... I didn't know people would do this. Um, and especially, the, there was a couple cool areas that we helped in Leesville. Uh, well, just a place just south of Leesville, actually. Um, it was a predominantly black area. Uh, and with all this race riots and whatnot, you would think that white people and black people just despise each other all the time. Uh, but we were in there. It was a group of, we were, I think everyone in the group was white. And we were volunteering our service, helping these, uh, helping this black community clear out all these trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, like this one tree, like destroyed the roof of this guy's house. And so we were helping him fix it, and we helped him. Like it, it was kind of a crazy situation, actually. But um, the the fact that we were there helping, and like the whole community kind of came out, and there were lots of people that kind of came over, and we met a lot of the neighbors, and they were just like, "Why are you guys here? Like, are you from this area?" And, like, and we said, "No, we're we're from out of town, but you know, we're followers of Jesus Christ, and we feel like this is what He would want us to do. Like, if He was here on the earth right now, this is where we think He would be, and so this is where we are, mm-hmm. uh, and we're here helping you out. And I think you could kind of feel that the tensions going on right now between or like about race kind of made the those acts of service even more poignant um because in that moment like it it was so obvious that it didn't matter mm-hmm. right these yeah. like these like artificial you know constructs that we're arguing about so much don't matter and the, these divides that we talk about like while there might be some divide or what I, I, I mean i don't even know exactly how it all is gonna 
I, I can't see it completely objectively. But what I do know is that there are some black people that now I uh, it, I call every now and again. Actually, I, I don't. I guess we call every each other every now and again. So one of the guys that I was telling you about, hun, he mm-hmm. uh, he calls me on <laughs> Sundays now and like asks me how I'm doing. It's like just wanted to say thank you. Um, so there, this this one so guy. So you're like making friends. Yeah, I'm making friends, and they're just super grateful, and um, yeah, and it was just really moving and really touching and really like inspiring. Mm-hmm. And then there are the. Well, I just can I can I jump ahead, in for a minute? Go ahead. Well, I think like when you are getting ready to have these service experiences, you kind of expect, like in a prideful way, you're expecting everyone to be grateful, and you want to. I mean. I would like selfishly want to seem like, yes, like I'm this hero. I'm so excited to do this service and Mm -hmm. everyone's going to be so happy that we're serving them. Um, But yeah, can you tell us a little bit about when it doesn't go that way and maybe how we should be responding when our service isn't always appreciated in the way that we would like it to be? Oh, yeah. So there were the last house we went to actually this past weekend um, over in Alabama. Uh, this lady came out and, uh, again, we are doing this completely voluntarily, mm-hmm. right? Like we're not yeah. paid, like we paid our own money and we, we paid for our own hotel rooms and our own food and, and everything, right? So everything was supplied mm-hmm. by ourselves. We get over there and this lady walks out and is like, Hey, you here to clean up the house? I'm like, yes, ma'am. Like we're here to help you out. She's like, all right, I need you to take out that tree and that tree and that tree. Uh, and also, like, can you, like, pick up all these, like, little sticks and, and whatnot? And, like, can you just, like, kind of clean up the backyard? And you could tell that she had not been doing yard work or anything like this before the storm. And there were trees that were down from before the storm. Um, and mm. we're like, okay, ma'am, like, we'll do it. And so we, we clean everything up. Um, we, took, we took the trees down because there were some trees that had fallen. And there were a couple tr- – there was, like, a big tree that had fallen. And there were a couple trees that were leaning like uh, almost to the ground and that were kind of a, a hazard. And, and she had her, like her, her, a couple of grandchildren who lived with her and a great grandchild who lived with her. Um, and the whole family kind of like, uh, they were just like very demanding. And when we finished, they're like, there wasn't any thank you. There wasn't any, like, you guys are awesome or anything like that, which we don't need, <laughs> right? But it feels good. It feels good. Uh, but yeah. she was complaining, like, oh, why don't you do this? Like, why don't you do th- Why don't you do more stuff? Uh, oh, yeah. And we had, like, been there all day, and she was, like, super, very, very expectant. Okay. Like, like, we owed this to her mm-hmm. to be there and to help out. Um, and so you get some of that uh, that are just, like, kind of rude about it and, like, kind of treating us like we like they were paying us you mm-hmm. still shouldn't tr- we were treated sometimes in ways that we shouldn't have been treated even if you were even if they had been paying us right um frequently we, we, we sometimes we get to places and you could tell like the people have been working all day and they were just so overwhelmed and they were so grateful mm-hmm. um and those are really good and, and so, some people you could kind of tell like we'd get there and they were like they hadn't been working uh, but then we would get outside and start working, and then they would think like, "Oh, I, I don't know if I should work or should or should I just let them do this?" Uh, and there were several people that were able-bodied and were watching us work on the stuff, 
but weren't like engaged in the working. And that was kind of hard for me at first. And it's still a little hard for me because I'm thinking like, oh, if it was my house and a bunch of people show up to help me do something, like I'm not going to just Mm -hmm. sit back. Like I'm going to be engaged in it. Uh, But at the same time, like we have no idea what they went through emotionally and mentally to go through that and to lose everything. Yeah, and my dad brought up a good point. He's he's saying, like, we don't know where they're coming at. And so, like, the assumption when they just watch us work and they are able-bodied, they're just not working, is that they're lazy or they're expectant. Mm -hmm. But we just don't know. My dad pointed out that they could have been working a lot beforehand and they were just completely overwhelmed. Or they were, like, looking at this, trying to figure out how to work, and then all of a sudden you get this group of 10 guys show up that are like really proficient with chainsaws and they just make a plan and they start hacking away and you're like i have no idea what to do here um or sometimes like they'll be working and then they don't feel comfortable continuing to work because you get these people who are friends and they've known each other for years and it's like our group will come in and and we have like the camaraderie and whatnot and so they just feel kind of out of place Mm -hmm. Um, and so we just don't know where they're, where they're coming from. And so the, the people run the gambit. And I would mm-hmm. say most of them were positive or neutral. Right. There, there are a few who were like negative. I like the point that you made, though, that we really don't know where people are coming from because like as much as we do want to be thanked and we want to be a hero and have people tell us we're awesome and stuff, um, when people don't show gratitude in the way that we would like it, um, we just have to remember that we really don't know if they're grateful or not, just because they don't show it doesn't mean they don't feel it. Right. Um, and, and we don't know where they're coming from. And one other thing I want to say about this that I was thinking about, like some, t- so the way that, can I talk real quick about yeah. like how it works? Mm-hmm. So, so uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints responds to pretty much all big disasters in the United States, anywhere where there are lots of members. Mm-hmm. So outside the United States as well, but especially in the United States. Uh, and, we believe that we have, we have covenanted with Heavenly Father, n- not just uh, about spiritual things, but we have covenanted everything we have to serve Him and to build up the kingdom. Uh, and that means when there are natural disasters, like we have made covenants with God to go and take care of our brothers and sisters as much as possible, as much as He sees fit. Uh, and so the, the church will uh, say, hey, we want... Um, so from this congregation, we want you to send over a group of, uh, you know, eight to twelve people each weekend for the next three to four weeks, um, and so so there's a kind of an expectation for us to go and help, uh, and it's it's never like a hey you need to go over. Right. Um, they they usually ask for volunteers, and then after if no one volunteers, then they'll call around and say hey are you think can you go can you afford to do this. Um, and, uh, there were times where we, we, so we'd go over and the church has this, this system set up called the crisis cleanup hotline where people can call in if they ha- if they need help and they'll, they'll put in a work order. And then, uh, those work orders are disseminated amongst, amongst the thousands of, of church volunteers. Um, and sometimes we would end up at places and I was like, we, there's no reason for us to be here. Like the purpose of crisis cleanup and what the church is doing is not to like get everyone's yard back in to, like the pristine shape it was before. It's to like, uh, it's to get rid of trees 
that are blocking driveways or that are dangerous or those kind of things. Kind of get rid of the big things that people can't do for themselves. Um, And sometimes we would end up at places that had put in calls uh, that were kind of more affluent areas. And we're like, well, they, they can afford to kind of help themselves. Like there are poorer areas that I would rather be more, be working on or, or we'd go to areas that were like, oh, it's like this is a job that we could do, but it's like a, tr- a couple trees are down in the back of their 10-acre property or like things like that. Um, and sometimes I would find myself frustrated that I was like, oh, I'm like taking time away from my family to be here. Uh, and I want to make sure that I'm doing good work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing that I kept telling myself is like, I have... Like, I'm fulfilling a call from the Lord. I'm here because this is what the Lord would have me do. I'm here to serve the Lord. This is my offering. This is my sacrifice. Like, I, what, whatever happens, like, he knows that I'm giving it to him. And so uh, it's frustrating for me because I like optimization and I like, like, maximum efficiency. Uh, but the Lord will accept our sacrifice no matter what. And so that's what it is for me. So I love I love my Savior, and because I, I love my Savior, I, I love my brothers and sisters wherever they are in the world, and that's why I was that's why I want to go out and help. Um, and even if we got sent to a bunch of houses that didn't need real help, or we got sent to a bunch of people who were rude, um, the fact is I'm serving my Savior, mm-hmm. um, and that was a, a kind of staying mantra for me. There, like there are a couple a times, like, you know, like, whatever whatever happens, like, I am serving the Savior, and this is my, my offering to Him. And so He can take it and do with it as He pleases. I love it. Thanks. Um, so, one more question, okay. and then we'll wrap up. Um, what have you learned about the Savior through these experiences? Oh, man. Um, so, kind of going along this idea of, like, kind of efficiency, there mm-hmm. was one guy that I, I met... Um, in Leesville, I think, yeah. Uh, We were there, we were cleaning up this house that was in bad shape, that really needed our help. Um, And we got to a point where, like, we could keep doing stuff, but most of the work was being done by a few people because it was kind of like a big trunk that was still left, and so they were cutting it up. And uh, most of our crew had left and gone to the next work order. Uh, and as I was going to grab my water from our car, I saw that there was this elderly man who was cutting down trees or was cutting up trees um, across the the road from where we were. Uh, but it was an empty lot. And so he was like just cutting down trees in an empty lot. And so it wasn't something that was urgent. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of out, outside of our mandate. So our, our focus was, again, helping people get back into their homes, taking care of like of dangerous situations um, and alleviating those big economic burdens from, from people uh, because getting like having an arborist come down and cut down trees and cut up big trees is very expensive. And so we can literally save people thousands and thousands of dollars by doing this. And this guy had a bunch of trees that were maybe six to eight inches in diameter down. He probably had eight trees down. Uh, And so they weren't very big. Some of them were a little bit bigger than that. Uh, but I saw him and I felt like, I was like, oh, like he's, it's an empty property. It's not like, uh, it's not really a problem. If he left those trees there, it'd be fine. And I, 
I almost kept walking, and then I felt really strongly that the Savior wanted me to go over there and talk to the guy. And so I walked over and asked him, like, hey, do you want some help? Uh, and he immediately said, like, I wouldn't turn it away, which is a big a big tell for, because most of these people that are out in their own yards working that we came across, if you offer them help, they were kind of reluctant to accept it because they felt like, oh, everyone needs help. Um, and so, like, well, I don't want to take help away from other people. Uh, and this guy right away, like, it's like, yeah, I really need the help. And he had went and bought a chainsaw. He never owned a chainsaw in his life. And he was, I think it was in his sixties. Uh, brother Tony, that was his name. His name <laughs> was Tony. And he was cutting up, uh, the tree, but you could kind of tell he had, he hadn't like done never it before. Touched and I've done <laughs> some chainsaw stuff, um, growing up where I did, but I didn't do a ton. But then the weeks prior, I did a lot of chainsawing, cleaning up. Uh, and so I, I said, Hey, if you cut here, you should be able to do it. And he's like, Oh, I'm just worried. Cause I, I can't like I'm, my chainsaw keeps getting caught. I'm like, Oh, well if you cut it from this angle, it's going to make it a lot easier. And I kept showing him how to do it. And then finally, and you could tell that he was having a hard time cause he was an older guy. He's having a whole hard time bending over. And I said, Hey man, do you want me just to do this for you real quick? And he's like, that would be awesome. Cause he was like cutting it like the least efficient way possible. <laughs> and, uh, and so I walked over and I told the missionaries who came, come with us and said, Hey elders come over and, uh, and help me do this. And so they came over and they started dragging the trees uh, and and Tony did as well, um, even though he was an older guy. Um, he, I think he might have been older in the 60s. But anyway, and he had arthritis or something. And uh, I grabbed the chainsaw, and it took us like 30 minutes maybe to cut up all eight of the trees that were down and drag them out to the uh, to the to the road. And the reason I bring up the story is it was something that was outside of our mandate that he hadn't called us and set up a, a um, like an official work order. Yeah, an official work order, and it really didn't need to happen. Like there were people in other places that might have even needed our help more because they had trees on their house, or or they were uh, a lot of the people we helped were first responders. Um, that had trees on, on their houses and their yards that they weren't able to get to because they were working trying to keep other people safe. Um, and so there were a lot of good people that we were that we were helping. Uh, and this guy was a good guy, but like these trees were down on an empty lot. Uh, and I would not have said I should we should go help him. Like we, I would have said, let's go help somebody else. But in that moment, I felt really strong that the Lord wanted me to help that person. And I felt... Uh, Christ's love for Tony the whole time when I was helping him. Uh, and he was one of the people that kind of teared up towards the, you know, towards the end of, of us helping him. And, uh, he asked us like, Hey, like, can you, like, can I pay you? Can I do anything for you? I was like, no, man, like if you, if you really want to do something for us, like, why don't you, why don't you come to church? Uh, and so he agreed. So he went to church the next week and, um, he's like, yeah, like I have been like out of touch with God for a long time, but I think it's probably about time to, you know, to, to fix that and kind of like reconnect with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt Christ's love so strongly for that man that day. And I still do as I think about him. Uh, and it really embodied the principle in my mind of, of Christ ministering to the one. Cause it was like, there were to- so many people that needed help 
maybe even more than him in that sense, in that worldly sense. But the Lord cared enough to uh, cared enough about Tony to uh, prompt someone as obtuse as I am to go and like go over and talk to this guy and let him know he's loved, let him know that Christ is, is aware of him and that there are good people in the world. Because he was just he was flabbergasted that there are people in the world mm-hmm. who were who would like come and help and, and donate their time to people that didn't live in the same area as they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just a really cool experience for me to see the Lord actively engaged, not just in cleaning up houses, but in letting people know that he loves them. Yeah. That was a very long-winded answer. No, I'm glad you told that story because I didn't hear the whole thing, I don't think, earlier. So thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Um, I think someday I do want to go on one of these hurricane cleanups with you eventually. But I think it would be a really cool experience. Yeah, it is a cool experience. It's exhausting and dirty and Mm kind of dangerous sometimes. and uh, But it's fun. It's fun. And, uh, and people who are not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can go on these work crews as well. And if you ever see, like, the yellow, a bunch of people wearing yellow shirts. It's at, the Helping Hands. Yeah, the Helping Hands shirts. And um, that's probably a, a work group from from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. But if you're interested in going uh, and helping with, with uh, our church... I mean, you, I'm sure mo- most churches are going to do something if they're in the if they're in the immediate area. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is in a unique position because of of the way that it's structured and organized. That it's, I think, uniquely positioned to respond to these kind of situations. Um, and so, if you if you're not a member member of our church, but you have a natural disaster like the fires in in the West or or hurricanes in the south, or wherever you are, if there's something that goes wrong and you want to get involved, reach out to uh, um, the missionaries or your friends who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, and ask if they if you can go over and, and help with, with the work crews or donate food or like prepare meals or whatever it is. There's lots and lots of needs there. My mom is actually one of the people who trains uh people to man the hotlines Mm -hmm. and so we have people that volunteer to uh take incoming calls to set up work orders Uh, and so if you don't want if you can't work or if that's something that just doesn't seem that attractive to you but you want to do something else there are things like that where you can like man the man the phone so you can uh, accept calls and put in work orders so reach out and i'm sure if 2020 is any indicator of what the world's going to be like before the Savior comes, we are going to have more opportunities for service, and we will love all the help that we can get. Yes, lots of natural disasters. Yeah. <laughs> and unnatural disasters. Yeah, very, very unnatural. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, this has been really good. Thank you for sharing your experience. No problem. Um, let's wrap up with a love and less than love. Okay. I have a less than love. Okay. My less than love is that we have... Um, we have three bathrooms and (laughs) I I mean, I love that, (laughs) but, uh, one of the toilets is making a weird sound and it's freaking me out and it stresses me out. And I just like, I spiral easily. And so my mind just goes to like, we're going to wake up one day and it's going to flood or the toilet's running. And so our water bill is going to be like thousands of dollars and yeah anyways i just spiral and it's freaking me out yeah <laughs> so that's it's my really not that big it's like a tiny little problem and it, it's just it's gonna require like a, a couple minutes of adjusting something and that's gonna be it 
And yeah. even if we didn't, it wouldn't be that big of a deal if we had to pay. It pro- it's probably only a couple extra dollars a month. I know. But, I- like, this is such a different position that we're in now because we have a house. And so, in the past, it was that we were in an apartment or we were, like, renting a townhome or something. And we just would call the maintenance person and they would just fix it mm-hmm. immediately. But now we're not in that situation, and so it freaks me out. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I can handle it. <laughs> okay, what about you? Um, I love socks that are the right size. <laughs> well, that's hard for you. It is. I have one foot that is a size 11, and I have another foot that is a size Six? 9. 9? It's 9, yeah. Okay. Size 8 or 9. Um... I, so for those of you who don't know, I had a partial amputation of my foot when I was four and a half, five. Around there, I guess. Around that age. Yeah. Um, I was run over by a lawnmower, and so I have two different size feet. And I hate when I'm wearing socks that are too small, and like it feels like your toes are just like slightly bent in. Yes, I hate that feeling. That is ah, the worst that feeling. That happens though, like when, like as a girl, when we wear tights, like that always happens. That's awful. It's terrible. I hate that feeling. I'm so okay, sorry. Sorry. Keep going. I'm so sorry. Keep going. Uh, and yeah, and so, but I also hate big socks. So like one foot has the too small problem, and the other foot has the too big. Yep. Because <laughs> I, I hate big socks because they like the ends will roll over or like mm-hmm. like they stick up way high <laughs> uh, and i have the problem that if i have a like so if i'm wearing socks that are the same size um th- i ha- always have one sock that sticks up way higher above the edge of my shoe mm-hmm. the top of my shoe than the other because one foot is smaller mm-hmm. and so what i try and do is i try and have one sock in a set only be for my left foot and one sock only be for my right foot. The thing is, I do the laundry and so I fold the socks and so <laughs> I just grab random ones and stick them together. I don't pay attention I, to I, that. So I have a couple pairs of socks that have like left and right written on them. Like yeah, I don't stitched pay attention in. to that. I'm sorry. No, if, if I get them and I see that, like I just undo them and I look for the, the other one. one. Okay. But I've lost most of those socks. I'm I need sorry. next time I buy socks, I just need to buy socks that have like left and right written on them for yeah. that purpose. Because if I do that, then they don't get stretched out and like they fit. <laughs> and so like when I get a good pair of socks that it's like not too tight, doesn't feel like it's like slightly scrunching my toes, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also like not too big where I'm like it's like rolling over underneath. I get like the end of it's rolling under my toes, that is a sweet spot, and I'm very happy for for that for those few days a year when I get the sweet spot socks. Okay, well, I hope that I can maybe make more of an effort to hold your socks <laughs> with the right socks. You're fine. I need to <laughs> correct. We, we probably need to get new socks if we're going to do that, and that's going to be a goal. Well, anything else? Any other no, questions? No, that's it. No, that's good. No. Okay, guys, we love you so much. I'm going to go to bed. Yes, what? And maybe you shouldn't go to bed because you're probably not listening to this late at night. But we love you deeply. And good night. And good night. (laughs) Bye, guys. Okay, keep the faith.